Welcome to Dragon Talk. We have new microphones. It's amazing, Shelly. You sound amazingly clear. I can hear you through the glass. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing. That sounds amazing. I am Greg Tito, the amazing sounding host of Dragon Talk, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sherry Mazzanopo. Oh my gosh, you like are on perfect pitch. Did you like It must be Do you know that I saw, it is the new microphones. I saw The Lion King this um, past Friday, a play yes. put on by children, four children. Oh. It was adorable. It's adorbs. But I have all of those songs going through my head right now, except I... I have Quinn's version. Jalapeno. (laughs) (laughs) Just going through my head. And you're also like, I have several notes on how you can improve your performances going forward. Absolutely. Um, Try to include uh, some game elements, uh, perhaps, if you can, make all those things happen. Yes. Uh, Speaking of kids doing storytelling. Right. What a segue. Amazing guests uh, this week, uh, Mr. Cade Wells and Sarah Roman. They have been working together uh, on trading stories from educators, teachers using Dungeons and Dragons in their classrooms, sometimes overtly and, uh, uh, you know, just through... um, uh, classroom management, where people get like you know experience points for doing good things, stuff like that. While also some other stuff, such as just uh, using it to get curriculum out there. I think Sarah uh, Roman has these amazing things about uh, um, the, the Britain, British hit, uh, literature, and how you can get into Beowulf and all that through the story yes. of Dungeons and Dragons. I just love that people are using it in schools. Me too. In school, and that they found each other and are working together. You know, that part educators of the, are coming together. Part of the reason they found each other, though, is because of us. Because, well, I was going to say most of the reason. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's just say all I mean, the reason, really. Yeah, because we talked to Cade uh, yeah. two years ago. Two, yep. Almost two and a half the years curve, ago. man. Right? And uh, I've been keeping in contact with him, and uh, we recruited Sarah, and we're working on more ways for people to teach with D&D. Love it. So this interview is good stuff. If you're an educator, but even if you're not, if you just like, uh, you know, humanity. If you just like <laughs> raising the next generation to be good, civilized people using Dungeons and Dragons. If you just like D&D and you want more D&D players out there. You like good interviews with good microphones. With, well, I mean, the microphones in the interview is bad because we recorded oh, this like a yeah. wee, so, wee, month and a There's going to be ago. a noticeable difference then. There is going to be a noticeable yeah. difference. We recorded this in June, so it wasn't that long ago. It was about a month ago. Uh, it is still timeless. Timeless. And amazing. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we've announced a few things here in Dungeons and Dragons land. You've been busy, Mr. Tito. It's true. We've got Waterdeep Dragon Heist coming in September. It's September 9th and uh, September 18th everywhere else. Uh, September 9th in game stores. I missed that part of it. Uh, We also have Dungeon and the Man Mage coming hot on the heels uh, in November. Uh, But also, you might be able to buy some really fun gifts for your gamer friends on your list. Like what? With new core rulebook gift sets. Did you know about these? Oh, I did, but I didn't know that that was. Yeah, there's all it's talking a about them. Player's handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, so cool. the Monster Manual, and the Dungeon Master's screen in all one uh, cardboard slipcase. Pretty cool. You can buy them all 
as one. So there's two versions. There's one you can get uh, uh, everywhere that has just minor uh, refreshes of the artwork that you can find on the covers now. Oh. In one package and a nice cool slip case with it all together. There's another version, the alternate cover version that's all designed by Hydro 74, the guy who made the Volo's Guide to Monsters and the Xanathar's Guide to Everything alternate covers. Those covers are amazing. They're sick. They are like sick. I would like to blow them up and frame them and put them in my house. We should blow them up and frame them and put them in. In, in our studio. <gasps> yeah. I like that too. I like all that because they're, they're really so cool. Great. And they take the uh, character that was the central image, you know, a central character on all those covers. So King Schner, uh, uh, the Xanathar, and a Sararak, I believe. And he just like did, you know, investigations of them almost in, 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 the, in the design. And I think they look really cool. Yeah. I just love the colors too. Yeah. Everything's beautiful. Everything's nice. He's got it's all in a nice cool slip case yep. that's also designed by him and a new dungeon master scream which designed is also by gorgeous. him, which is all gorgeous. That intricate fine detail. I love it. Is there anything new in the content of the books or is that all the same? No, they're all up to date. You know, they've got all the last little bits of uh, of any editing or anything okay. like that that needs to happen. Um, but no, all the content is the same. It's basically like, you know, a way to get uh, people on your list this upcoming holiday season to be like, all right, here, here's all you need to play Dungeons & Dragons in one cool package. Love it. I love it. Both of those are coming out uh, in October. Very good timing. Uh, October 30th as well. You'll be able to get Ooh, those. Right uh, so very, very cool stuff uh, there. We also, we didn't really talk about this much, but there is Waterdeep Dragon Heist Dice uh, that's uh, coming out. Very nice. Uh, a set of Eight polyhedral dice. We're giving you two d20 so that you can roll with oh, advantage or disadvantage as the case that. may be. People are going to be excited about that. Right? I mean, because it makes sense with 5th edition that you give two yep. d20. Yep, it it just makes sense. Uh, but there's also going to be a cool little life tracker thing in huh? the dice set. Uh, so, yeah, two, imagine two discs uh, with zero through uh, nine digits on them. And then you can roll the discs to read, what? like, oh, I have 12 hitch points. For uh, my hit points? For your hit points. Oh, wow. Isn't that great? That's a really good idea. And it stands up and it can display for the table or, you know, just for you. It's great. I love it. Or any anything you really need to keep track of that's two digits, but we think hit points is probably going to be Your age. Thing. Your age. It goes up once every year. Yeah. You got to know. Now you know. Right? Yeah. Or if you say, like, I have 99 charges on this staff and you can, like, click it down so it goes down to, you know, charges. You can do it that way, too. Right. If you were actually the kind of player that tracked that. <laughs> if you had a dungeon master who, uh, if you had a you dungeon know, master who followed the rules. Exactly. Love it. Great stuff uh, coming out there. Uh, then also, uh, for all of you people who love reading books to your kids, do we have something in store for you? Uh, two amazing books written by none other than Ivan Van Norman and Caleb Cleveland. We have the ABCs of D&D. Uh, and the one, two, threes of D and D, two beautifully illustrated books uh, with rhyming couplets that are fun and get people, uh, get people, adults and kids alike, uh, into D and D. It's adorable. Yeah, it's funny. They describe the monsters. Uh, you know, there's one for each of the letters, uh, as well as one for each of the yes. numbers. It's it's very cute uh, and written really well, and the art style is amazing. So those are uh, fifteen bucks each. They're coming October twenty third. Pick them up when you can. Okay. Those are awesome. Will do. All right. Uh, we also have endless quest books. Did you know about these? <gasps> I did. Mr. Matt Forbeck. Yes. Uh, I'm very excited about these. I, 
just love the idea of like a, a you know a choose your own adventure we type. Are reading them to Quinn right now. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Which one are you reading? The Fighter. The Fighter. Did he choose that one? Nope, we chose it for him. Ah, that see. was an adventure he couldn't choose. That he one's chose. called Escape the Underdark. Oh. Mm, do you think Do you think he's gonna escape? Mm, he's already had a couple of fails. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he's like, well, whatever. He's like, hey, go to the next page. We'll, we'll check it out. Okay. Uh, they're really cute. They're really uh, not even just cute, but they're 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 accessible. I think is the word I'm looking for. Like you, yep. you don't need to be uh, super well versed in D and D lore. You don't nope. need to be young uh, or old. Uh, they're timeless. <laughs> they're timeless again. Yeah. And I lo- also like that they are class specific. Me too. Yeah, because I think I'm a lot a of fighter. a lot of kids kind of identify with that class. Yeah, or a class, and yeah. then they're like, "Oh, I want that it's one because cool. like I want to be a wizard." One. Yeah, now I want to see what the rogue does. Right, it's cool. Yeah, I like that. That is really cool. Uh, so those are coming on September fourth uh, from our partners at um, Candlewick Press. Can't wait for that, and we'll probably talk to Matt on one of these here interviews leading up to that. That's actually not that far away, really. No, September fourth. We got to do that soon. Crap. All right, oh, yeah. I'm going to go schedule some interviews. Uh, just the, what we need. Just just what we need. Uh, in the meantime, I think you guys should listen to this uh, Lore You Should Know segment. What do you think about that? I think so. I think so. Do we know what this one is ahead of time? We do. It is going to be about Skullport and everything that hangs out underneath the city of Waterdeep. Oh. Listen carefully okay. to the bings and the bongs. Will do. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Howdy. Today, in this segment where we delve into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore, just for fun or to use in your game, more specifically for this topic, because we are going to talk about Skullport, the area below the city of Waterdeep where all the fun happens. One of several um, interesting tourist traps. Yes. Literally. Yes. We want you to <laughs> under, come in. Under the city of Waterdeep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it was this whole kind of sub-city underneath Waterdeep. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. This is, this is the lowdown on Skullport. The lowdown. Um, yeah. So Skullport is a settlement of its own underneath the city of Waterdeep. How is that possible, you might ask? I, I, how is it, it possible? It's like the Seattle Underground. Um, <laughs> anybody who's visited the Seattle Underground knows that there's kind of like a city under the city. Yeah. Uh, I was amazed the first time I moved to the city and took that yeah. tour. I was like, whoa, yeah, this is like a whole neat. underworld. Claustrophobic, but neat. Um, the d like. Exactly. It's a, it's a great real world D&D location. But I digress. So Skullport is an ancient settlement that uh, was basically carved out of the subterranean caverns deep below Mount Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. And the way that people accessed Skullport back in the day was through a series of sea caves that are basically on the coast. They'd sail their ships or whatever into these great caves under the mountain that would just sort of lead deeper and deeper in the mountain. And then uh, industrious Netherese wizards mm-hmm. um, decided to build a series of locks that would basically lower the ships deeper and deeper and deeper down into these caves until they got all the way down to the river Sargoth, which is this under, underworld river. And it is at, on this river that Skullport was carved out and used as sort of like a, a secret Netherese hideaway. 
Now, when you say carved out, they actually carved it from solid stone? So um, there were there was sort of like an existing cavern, and then they just sort of widened it out and then built structures inside of it, the equivalent of a small town. So visually, as you go up this river, it widens into this expansive cavern that has uh, – it's full of water. And in the middle of it is an island with a fortress on it. And rising up in the heart of the fortress is this stone column that helps brace the cavernous ceiling. So a big fortress around a column on an island that has a bridge connecting it to a side cavern that's even bigger. Mm. And it is in this side cavern that most of Skullport resides. And it is a multi-tier um, town made of stone structures as well as uh, structures built out of the wood of old ships and other materials. It uh. is multi-leveled um, with um, wooden catwalks and rope catwalks connecting the upper levels to each other. It looks like a cramped, dark, subterranean um, hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> In a way, but like a pirate ship kind of yeah, feeling, though, too. it does. And in fact, uh, after the Netherese left, um, and they left a few surprises behind, Skullport became home to all manner of creatures over the years, including pirates. Uh, late, much later, pirates would use it as a haven um, to basically hide and stash their loot and to gather. And the fortress became sort of like the first defense um, and a place where their ships could dock, and then the town would be a place where they could sell their loot and c- cavort with one another. So it was kind of like a like a Tortuga kind of yes, feel, where it was very like much it, was, so. it was a haven, but yep. was a town in its own right, right, with its own dangerous set of laws and rules, rules, um, <laughs> the code, yes. And uh, compounding the danger was the fact that branching off of Skullport are uh, several tunnels that lead deeper into the ground and connect to the vast, vast dungeon of Undermountain. Oh. So Skullport is directly connected by tunnel and by the River Sargoth to the great dungeon of Undermountain. I see. And so people would use Skullport as a staging area to launch expeditions into Undermountain, but also Undermountain monsters would occasionally venture down these tunnels and assail the inhabitants of Skullport. So living so close to a dungeon so big has its dangers. Um, Is it also connected to the Underdark? Yes. Insofar as once you – if you continue to follow – many of the tunnels that you follow will lead you to Undermountain. Many of the others will lead ever downward into the Underdark. I see. Which is why at various points in Skullport's history, it has been occupied by Drow and Durgar and other Underdark races. At times living together – and at times basically conquering it for their own ends. Um, Skullport has had a number of controlling interests over the years. Um, and at one point, a drow family, the Tannerthals, actually kind of set up a big, uh, f- their own fortress on the ceiling of Skullport and carved it out to look like a giant spider. So amid all the other crazy things you can find in Skullport is an upside-down fortress clinging to the cavern ceiling that happens to be carved in the shape of a gigantic spider. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Now, are there drow still living in that spider now? No. Does uh, it have windows where you can look out over the whole town? There are, there are, way, there are windows and balconies uh, built into it that you can basically look over the town. Uh, and so House Tannerthal is, is still there. 
there are that's not to say there aren't drow in Skullport. They just they just don't have a formal presence, and so they're lurking or, or haunting it like many other creatures. Yeah, and they might be there for yeah. their own purposes. Right in in Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, we revisit Skullport, and so anybody who wants to see what Skullport is like now can pick up that book, and it tells you. It provides the maps for Skullport as well as describes its contents and current occupants. Um, now, some of the, probably the oldest surviving occupants of Skullport, and this ties into our, our previous lore you should know about the, the born-again monsters, mm. uh, is a group of 13 flame skulls. Oh. They're sort of iconic figures in Skullport, and the lore of them is that they were at one time Netherese wizards uh, who called, who formed a society called the Sargoth Enclave, mm. and they were kind of like the chosen defenders of Skullport back in the day. And um, despite the fact that Skullport has changed hands and the Netherese are long gone. Uh, these, skull por- these, these flame skulls have survived and continue to basically patrol the streets like they own the place. But time has driven these wizards mad. And so they still think that they're living in that ancient time and often mistake people for, you know, perfectly normal inhabitants. And so they kind of leave them alone. The only people that they're suspicious of or distrustful of are those who seem to be spellcasters. They take an affront to them and challenge them directly. Because they're not as powerful as the Netherese were. Or, yeah, or yeah, they're using yeah, or, our stolen power. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to ra- rationalize why they do what they do because they are so ancient and they are so old. But like all flame skulls, they're difficult to destroy. Even if you destroy them, they can reform. And so these 13 have always sort of continuously haunted Skullport and kind of live in a weird coexistence with whoever is occupying the city at the time. All right, is that where the Skullport gets its name? Probably. Um, hard, to, hard to say. Uh, I don't think there's a, a statement that says that's absolutely the case, but I think, yeah, they are, they are just about the most emblematic thing about the city, and it makes sense. They're flaming skulls. It's called Skullport. Oh, makes perfect sense, um, yeah. I didn't even think about it until yeah. until then, but because there's yeah. so Skullport can mean so many different. When, whenever things. we've whenever we've tackled Skullport in the past, uh, for the most part, uh, they're usually very well represented, like on the cover of the product or whatever. So there's a there's a connection there clearly. Um, so what else uh, is Skullport known for? So in addition to being just a haven for some of the worst of the worst, it's known as a trading post where you can get things that you might not be able to get anywhere else. For instance, like uh, smoke powder or um, magic items found in Undermountain that have been brought here basically to be sold off. Um, components that you can't get in the city above, you know, that kind of thing. Knowledge that you can't knowledge, get Knowledge, lost knowledge. Um, Skullport has been home to liches and other powerful creatures over the years. So there's all kinds of things that you can find down there. Um, there's a pair of dwarves who run a salvage operation um, in the river Sargoth and basically sell what they find that's basically flowed down the river from God knows where. Uh, and so their names are Darum and Duram. 
And uh, the two of them, they're, they're these old cantankerous dwarves. And you can, you can basically go to their shop and it's just this big garbage mound of stuff that they found and pick through it to find all kinds of lost things. Crazy. There are also cartographers who run businesses down there. Um, uh, selling, why down there and not in Underdark? They're selling maps of the Underdark and Undermountain. Oh, uh, so the people who have, who have so traveled in. And if you're an adventurer and you want a more reliable map than the one you probably have, chances are good you'll be able to find one in Skullport. You might have to pay well for it. Um, That's cool. There are other things you can get in Skullport, of course, are just common necessities like lamps, which is always nice if you're going to make a, a sojourn to Undermountain. I think a lot of Skullport's business over the years has come from adventurers angling to basically run roughshod over Undermountain. So they come, hang out in Skullport, and then head off. Does the Waterdeep government have a presence down I'm there? I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> over the years, uh, Waterdeep has the, – the, the government, represented by the lords of Waterdeep, have always kept their eye on Skullport. It's like the thing that they're aware of. They don't send people down there. Like it's not, a, it's not really a tourist attraction. <laughs> uh, but they have sent criminals down there. As like an exile? Yeah. Um, they've, uh, they, but they also have operatives just sort of keeping an eye on what's going on down there and who's in charge and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I don't think the Lords of Waterdeep really see Skullport as a viable like, business hub or a place that they're really interested in keeping control of. Although over the years, they've had a hand in making sure the locks continue to function or, you know, that people can get, at least get down there. I was just going to ask, so the locks are still in operation, but that takes a huge amount of engineering to do that. It does. And in fact, they ceased operating during the spell plague of fourth edition. They all, all the magic of them basically broke down and stripped away. And so some effort was made to reestablish that after the spell plague ended. And that um, was by the Lords of yeah. Waterdeep? And uh, what was their reasoning there? Um, so mostly because I'm – not, I'm not even sure you'd chalk it up to the Lords of Waterdeep. But oftentimes Lords of Waterdeep are wizards um, and they have their own interests. They hire adventurers to go down an undermountain to get the magic items and spell books and stuff like that. So that's one reason to do it. The spice must flow. Yeah, exactly. Um, I get that. Yeah. The, there's also a big hoist down there that um, it's like a 10-story hoist that can basically lift ships over walls and things like that. I know that wizards have from time to time repaired that as well. Um, mostly, if, if, some, if, anybody, if any Lord of Waterdeep is going to take an interest in Skullport, it's going to be a purely selfish one. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not for the good of the city no, or anything like that? Not it's, really. It's all... I think if you ask the city by and large today... Few people even remember that Skullport is down there. It's not like an advertised thing. Oh, okay. And the lords who do know it's there are, want to be watchful of it or they want to monopolize it for their own ends. That's interesting because I wasn't sure. I mean because, you know, this is going into our conversation of what's player knowledge versus uh, uh, character yeah. knowledge because, you know, yeah. fans of D&D know that Skullport yeah. is there and that the Xanathar yeah. has. Yeah, if you has, ask your water Davian grandma about Skullport, she'll say, oh. Skullport, blah, 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 blah. But, but nobody's sure if it exists. It's kind of like a right. Yeah, you know, it might just be an abandoned haunted place now or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, does the fact that there's no uh, established thieves guild in Waterdeep uh, yes. tie into Skullport? Yes. Um, so Skullport has always been a place where thieves can c- kind of convene freely. Um, be they, you know, the old shadow thieves of Amun or other gangs. Were-rat gangs, goblinoid gangs, human gangs. 
criminal gangs. Uh, the Xanathar Guild, which is not a recognized guild in Waterdeep, has uh, basically uses Skullport as a base um, where they can operate. Laral Silverhand, the open lord of Waterdeep, knows that they're down there, knows that the Xanathar is trying to basically take the place over, um, and kind of has a an unwritten agreement to let the Xanathar do what he will with that place as long as none of that boils up and troubles the good people of Waterdeep. Right, right. So that makes sense to yeah. me where it's like this is, you know, you know there's going to be a criminal element yeah. in a city of this size. Right. Let's just keep it yes. down there. Right. And, and to be honest, she doesn't fully trust the Xanathar or anybody else. So there are Harper spies operating within Skullport. There are also Zentarim spies, obviously, because what a lucrative opportunity it could be if someone were to take command of it. Yeah. Uh, and there are other spies as well. Um, so everybody's kind of keeping an eye on the place, waiting to see who's going to be the next big mover and shaker down there. And then we'll sort of play it by ear. Right. Does the and when you say take over the place, I mean, what's the benefit for people? Would they be able to like impose a tax on stuff, or like just being able to know where everything is? Is that is that the the real strength think, of the place? I think it's a um, it's a striking point into the underworld. Um, it is a place now that the locks are basically functional, more or less, that they can get in and out of and not be disturbed. Uh, it has uh, through Undermountain access to the city, um, so. Items that are found in the Underdark or brought out of Undermountain can basically be taken to Skullport and secured there before they're sold off to buyers in the city. Um, oh, so it's a staging area that works both yeah, ways. Yeah, I think, I think it's a multi-purpose location where pretty much anything can happen, probably bad. Mm. Uh, Is there any... Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're concentrating all the bad parts. Is there any culture? Is there any, like, shows or... <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you said it's not a tourist uh, yeah. but like you know, any kind of group like that, you'd think there would be at least some kind of things that wouldn't be legal right. in Waterdeep. It's very legal down there. It's a very dangerous environment. Um, it's it's really far down, and there are threats of monsters from the nearby tunnels and caves. So people kind of live in fear. You have to, you better be able to swing a sword uh, down there. Uh, the Xanathar has entertainments uh, that that it opens up to members of the guild. And it's not picky about who joins its guild, to be honest. I mean, it's the worst of the worst. <laughs> so uh, they have, like, arena contests and things like that okay. uh, um, where they can they can watch people slug it out and pay money to do it. There isn't, I wouldn't call, like, a like much in the way of arts and crafts going on down there. That's not to say it's completely bereft, um, but you might find somebody who's dealing it, dealing in it. But by and large, entertainment down there amounts to these arena, arena fights, Got it. these pit fights, or um, there is a functional tavern called the Black Tankard. So I should mention that at various points, Skullport has had tremendous industry, and then it's gone down to like nothing, and then oh. it's sort of, uh, sort of come back up again as, as new forces kind of come in and wipe it out and clear it out. Often those businesses get destroyed, or the people who run them get eaten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not just killed. Or eaten. they die off and they, there's just nothing there after that. They're just gone. Yeah. Um, uh, there are certain long-lived or very fortunate uh, proprietors who have survived over the years or it's been passed down from one owner to another mm -hmm. and they continue to uh, thrive. At one point, like in second edition, in second edition Skullport, there were like five or six taverns and 
you know, maybe four or five inns in a bunch of places, a restaurant um, inside the hollowed out guts of a petrified purple worm. Yummy. Um, so some of that is still there, but it has been thinned out over time and has never really kind of recovered to its boomtown era. So there's like one functioning tavern and one functioning inn. The restaurant and the Purple Worm is still open, but the food isn't as good as it used to be. (laughs) Um, That kind of thing. So right now, if I were to describe it, I would say that it is a town on on the cusp of maybe coming back to life. But it's got a long way to go. I think really what it needs is a, a group of plucky adventurers. There you go. Yes. If adventurers were to go down there and make a point of smacking around um, yeah. the Xanathar and a few other choice individuals, I'm sure they could have that place running ship shape in no time. That's it. That's what and they could, do it, they could do it from the fortress on the island or from, you know, the Guts and Garters Inn or wherever they want to. I want to do it from the Spider Fortress. That's what I the, want. Yes. From the, from the house Tanathal spider fortress cleaning the ceiling. Of course, it's the highest point. Yeah, you get the bird's eye, you the spider's eye. You have to look down on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's looking on with their right. concussive yes. eyes. It's so, good. yeah, it is, it, is a, it is an adventure location ripe uh, for adventurers to conquer. Love it. Yeah. Very cool. Want your own town? Here you go. It's shitty, but it's yours. And you can make a killing off of going to Undermountain. You sure can. You're, you're close to one of the biggest, richest dungeons in all of Faerun. Yeah. If not the biggest, richest dungeon. And I love the idea of, you know, everybody likes having an anti-hero party. Right. Like, there is a downside. What's the downside? Um, to living in Skullport. And that is that it is technically within or considered to be within Under Mountain as far as weird alterations to magical things go. Oh. That is to say it's not outside of Hallister's influence. Um Spells that don't work properly in Undermountain also do not work properly in Skullport. I see. So if you're looking for a quick teleport out, you are shit out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> it just ain't going to happen. Because teleport spells do not work that way in Undermountain. Wow. All right. So no quick escapes. That's probably one of the big yeah. reasons why right. it has uh, been having these booms and busts. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, it's, you can't yeah. really get out of it very quickly. Yeah, it's hard. Things yeah. There, are the, there are the ways in, and that's it. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well... Time for adventure. Absolutely. I like that. Uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you and ask you more questions about what uh, fun shows they can go see in Skullport? <laughs> they can call me or contact me at chrisperkinsdnd.com. No, not, not .com. <laughs> ChrisPerkinsDND on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. That was a really fascinating uh, uh, lore segment. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you know all about the the flaming skulls that uh, are the reason why Skullport is named Skullport now? Yes. Yeah. I can see your eyes. Flaming just... skulls of knowledge bags. <laughs> <laughs> flaming skulls of knowledge bags. Yeah. That sounds like a like a like like something you would say to someone you don't like. Like, you're a flaming skull of knowledge, knowledge bag. bag. Yeah. That's what they say in Skullport. That's what they say in Skullport. Did you know that? It's true. They do now in in the Skullport that uh, Shelley Mazzanobel is. That's a uh, bit of of lore that you didn't know. It's true. Clearly Chris Perkins didn't know it. It's true. Only one person knows that, and that's Shelley. But now everybody I shared (laughs) dropped dropped that nugget. Everyone who's listening now knows it. (laughs) That knowledge bag. It's one of those, you know, uh, epithets that just roll off the tongue. Knowledge bag? Yeah. Yeah. You little knowledge bag. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. Like is it an s- insult? Like a smart aleck? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, you think 
You're such a knowledge bag. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it a thing. I think, that I think it's, we're going to. I like it. Brian, quit being such a knowledge bag. He is a knowledge bag about sound things. But he's such a knowledge bag. Do you think oh. these microphones that he picked out are good? Yeah. What a knowledge bag. Do you think he can hear us? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that means these microphones suck. He can't hear us at all. I saw him ripping plugs out of the back of his little <laughs> machine there. It's like, I can't listen to this anymore. Blah, blah, blah. I love that you're like, I don't know what piece of machinery that is, but it's a machine of some kind that makes things what happen. What is it? A it's a soundboard. Soundboard? Sound mixer. Board. Is it a soundboard or a sound It's a mixer, mixer board sound. Is it sound. the same? Are they the same? We're, this is good content right here. Let's get to our interview uh, with Kate and Sarah uh, and let them educate us all about the ways of Dungeons & Dragons. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have Sarah Roman. Hi, Sarah. Hello. And Cade Wells on the program. Uh, hello, y'all. Hello. Uh, so some of you longtime Dragon Talk listeners may remember when we spoke to Cade Wells three years ago. It was just full uh, of hope and promise. It was a, uh, I believe we called it D&D in the Classroom was uh, the topic there about how to use Dungeons & Dragons uh, if, for education purposes. And uh, we've stayed in touch with Cade. Uh, and I've been talking with him and uh, Sarah about uh, this initiative of getting more uh, Dungeons & Dragons use in school. So welcome, you guys. I'm so excited uh, uh, to be able to talk to you here on Dragon Talk. Oh, yeah. Great to be here. <laughs> It's uh, been a long time coming. It has been yes. a long time. So uh, we'll get to the meat of what you guys uh, are doing. Uh, but Sarah, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, how you started playing Dungeons & Dragons, and uh, how, how you started using it in your school in, in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> well, I have to admit, um, I was more of a Magic the Gathering person before all of this. Um, so Dungeons & Dragons came really late for me. Um, I played a little bit in college, um, so I was exposed to it there. Uh, but once I started using it a lot more in my classroom and figuring that this was like the way that I wanted to go, um, I had some of my college friends come out, you know, we ran some sessions and everything. So I've gotten a lot more back into it. Um, but I guess, I don't know, the whole premise is that, um, for the six years of teaching that I've been doing here in New Jersey, um, I'm no longer a teacher, unfortunately, but during that time, uh, I, I guess it was pretty much all surrounding experimental learning. So I had a do done a lot of stuff with um, like STEM initiatives, uh, marrying, you know, microcomputers and literature to make English more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but then I really started to lean into this whole gamification bit. Um, and that's where I ended up with Dungeons and Dragons as a way to, you know, boost readership in the classroom and kind of give the students a new avenue um, in which to study and play with me. Nice. So you, yeah. And you had access to a laminator. Oh, whoa. Oh. <laughs> oh. My sister gave me a laminator for Christmas. She had an extra one. It's like a desk laminator. She had an extra one. Yeah. Wow. You know, just yeah. lying around the house. Gee. Yeah. yeah. Well, family of teachers. And, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say that. Man, that thing got a lot of work between laminating, like, uh, cards for the students, you know, items, things that I would hand out, gold pieces. It was nuts. Oh, yeah. This is a good reward system, too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's all really cool. We're going to get into the, the nuts and bolts of that because I loved the whole idea of the economy that you created uh, in the classroom. I thought that was really, really cool. So, How old are the students? Sorry if you said that. But. Oh, no. You know what? I was primarily teaching uh, 11th and 12th grade. So okay. I had the run from 15 to 18 pretty much. Okay. Yeah. That's the right. That's a good age. Yep. Yeah. I imagine that's probably 
when a lot of them stop reading or lose interest in reading anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, <time>. absolutely. <laughs> When, what was your, so uh, talk a little bit about your experience to start. Was it, you know, when you played in college and, and stuff like that, did, what, what kind of games did you end up playing? Um, I would say, what were they? Haphazard. Um, <laughs> you know, a, <laughs> uh, a lot of rule bending, um, not really knowing what I was doing, uh, especially in, as you guys know, if you have a, a DM who isn't too clear on what's going on, um, it's kind of like, you're sitting back, relaxing with a couple of beers, and you guys are like, yeah, I'm an elf today kind of stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it wasn't until, like I said, um, over the past couple years where I really started to delve into it a lot more. And um, one guy recently, um, our friend Johnny, he is such a good DM, and he really showed us, um, you know, how to, how to really play, I feel like. So I think he really boosted and helped me along as a teacher and trying to figure out what I really wanted mm. to incorporate in the classroom. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it sounds like the, the sessions you're talking about uh, uh, within character and being an elf and having a beer. So that sounds like the sessions I would want to play. I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Today I'm an elf. I'm yeah, an elf. I'm an elf today. Yeah. 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 Tomorrow it's a tabaxi. You never know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so don't don't say it's not really how to play. I feel like it's both ways are uh, are valid. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Cade, uh, what uh, you know, we 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 heard about your background three years ago, but I think it's time for a, a, a refresher. Refresher. Yeah. What? Uh, when, when did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was ten. That puts me at a ripe twenty-eight years of playing D and D. So um, do the math, kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's why well, you should play D and D. It took me a minute to do the math. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it uh, it's it came to me uh, over a Christmas break. A friend, a brother's friend, my older brother's friend had gone to private school, came home with these books. And I was always an imaginative kid, but reading wasn't ever really something that greatly interested in me. And here at 10 years old, these books met my imagination at the exact crossing point where they needed to be. And from that point on, uh, Dungeons and Dragons became the platform for my imagination and uh, that, that's led us to this moment here today. Um, how it got into the classroom uh, for me was I went back to school to get my pedagogy degree and I had already wait, had a... Wait, communi- sorry, what? What's a pedagogy degree? <laughs> Ped- pedagogy is the art of teaching or the study of teaching. The study of teaching and learning is called pedagogy. Oh my gosh. Um, so I mean, I've, I've heard that, that word before, but I, didn't, I never realized that's what it was That is like as. a Jeopardy word See, right there. there it is. That's yeah. why D&D is great, because you learn new words every day. I just learned Very 10 much. plus 28 and pedagogy. <laughs> <laughs> I, my mind is just pow! Put it on the board! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll also hear it in reference to uh, pedagogical uh, right. studies. Indicates. Yeah. I, can, so. I can hear Alex Trebek saying this word right now with his pedagogy. very... Pedagogy. Like, Condescending <laughs> pedagogy. So you have well, a degree you know, in that? Would you? Have, is it? A, is it a? Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's, that's my that's my English teacher degree. I also have a communication studies degree with an emphasis in directing and uh, production management. Um, so I, I started working in the news and stuff. When I came back to school, I worked at I worked at the news and and did lots of independent productions. And I always had to have like two and three jobs because production work is never consistent enough, especially where I'm from. Right. Uh, and so I always had to have extra jobs. So I went back to uh, get my education to go into the classroom because I felt in my heart I was going to be able to do kids a really great service and actually do some good for the world. All that stuff that teachers say at the beginning. Um, and while I was going through my, <laughs> so sad. it's still true. Okay, it's still true. Um, well, well consuming a lot of liquids yes sir. <laughs> like I, coffee i don't don't ever trust the teacher who doesn't drink um <laughs> coffee 
I say that about mothers, too. (laughs) (laughs) Irish coffee. So as I was studying in college, I realized that uh, all the pedagogical activities they were having us do to prepare to be teachers, I had learned it all somewhere. And it it was almost like a ghost in my imagination. Like, why do I know all these strategies and principles and theorems that they're talking about? Why does this all so familiar? And I was working on a campaign at the time and I cracked open my Dungeon Master's Guide and I was like, oh, that's where I know this all from. So I started to take all of the activities uh, that they were asking me to do in college uh, for papers and the like. And I started this idea that I that I call Build a Heroes, um, where all of the metacognitive procedures that take place when you're making a character or playing a, 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 a adventure right. um, are exactly what you want a student to go through in the classroom. So d and has been a big part of my life, uh, probably one of the biggest. Um, I tell the kids as I'm teaching them how to use it, how to play it, uh, that I don't even know what would have happened to me had I not found Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and many of them, by the time the year is over, say the same thing that, you know, thank God for you, Mr. Wells, that you brought this into my life. So it's, it's made a really huge difference to the way that, you know, I see the world and I see education. And, um, as you guys know, uh, a lot of steam has been built, uh, even just with the last podcast and, and now Sarah and I are working together, uh, frequently and I see a bright future. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Sarah, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, what you guys are, are, are doing now? Oh, well, (laughs) so much (laughs) it it is actually it is so much, you know, um, and of course, like Cade laid the groundwork for all of this. And um, and Greg, uh, of course, you put us in contact, which thank you. Um, But it's really been like (laughs) it's really been this uh, wonderful process where, um, you know, we both use the game uh, a bit differently in the classroom, Um, you know, given my students. the way I approached it was I was immersing them into the book. So I was crafting campaigns directly related to the text. So they were interacting with our characters. Um, yeah, you know, you'd used uh, uh, Beowulf uh, as an example or like uh, yeah, all of English I, early literature. Yeah. Um, and of course, British literature uh, was great for this, um, you know, kind of play style. Um, but essentially, Kate and I, we said, all right, you know, we're doing all these things. We have all these ideas. Why don't we put together a website? Um, you know, so <laughs> we built it. Um, we're basically just creating this um, space for teachers to talk with one another, um, primarily because what we're seeing is that so many teachers are out there using it in different ways. Like, like I said, Kate and I use it differently. Well, Kate and I use it differently from these six teachers out in South Dakota, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are using it differently from teachers out in Germany. So it's really put us in contact with all of these educators around the world who have these like great ideas, but just didn't really have a place to talk about it or at least see what other people were doing. Um, so that's our primary goal right now is hopefully um, throwing in our two cents, uh, updating with lessons, showing what we've done, and then giving them a forum and an avenue uh, to share ideas and to really build off of one another, um, you know, just for what works best in their rooms. What's the, uh, what's the name of the website? Uh, it's teachingwithdnd.com. So DND, so as not to um, infringe upon you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, also yeah. the ampersand would break your, uh, your yeah, URL absolutely. there too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So yeah, if you're interested at all, go check that out. Cause it's it, uh, teaching with D and D is, uh, I think 
this, um, I mean, I don't know. I always talk about how it's come full circle from the 80s where, where you know, uh, it was frowned upon by those in authority figures uh, for various reasons. And now uh, it's, it's encouraged. Uh, I feel like educators are using it because of all of the wonderful things that we've gotten out of the game. Uh, just by having a good vocabulary, having you know, a want of reading, having this creativity, this having uh, uh, people working together on a common goal. I mean, that's 90% mm. of the group projects you do in school is is trying to get that idea across. And D&D does it so beautifully well without even making it feel like a, it's an assignment. Mm-hmm. And I, well, and I it, think it utilizes... I'm sorry. Apologize. It utilizes the specific um, the specific requirements of each individual character. So each character, yeah. each person, each person brings something to the craft. And when you utilize this properly in your classroom, you'll see the management sort of happen by itself. And uh, I'm sure Sarah could attest that classroom management is about 75 percent of the battle when it comes to uh, getting kids to learn something. Hmm. I thought that was half the battle. Wait, no, that's knowing. <laughs> knowing. <laughs> knowing is half the battle. <laughs> um. And I think another great thing, uh, while of course we're hitting on all these learning skills with the students, um, for us as teachers, uh, it's almost like the content standards are inherently built in. So if you go to the website and as you're looking through any of our items, you'll notice that of course we have to add these content standards in because as teachers we always want to correlate and make sure that we're hitting what we need to hit throughout our units and throughout the year. Um, And when I'm sitting down and when Kate and I are talking about it, it's just so easy to pick through, you know, the state standards and say, oh, well, we're hitting this here and yep, they're going through text evidence here and so forth and so forth. So it's just so ripe with information for both teachers and students. It just seems like we would be remiss if we weren't trying to um, use this in the classroom at this time. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. So what is the community like of teachers? Like how have people, if you notice the traffic to your websites, just grown or like how are how are people finding out about about the site and the work that you guys are doing um from what i can tell just through website stats um it's organic um you know people are googling uh D classroom teaching with D, and that's, that's awesome. primarily why we chose that name um you know lesson plans dungeons and dragons and uh you know it's been spiking over the past three months that we've had it live um oh it's only been up for three months yeah, oh, wow. and so not not too long, but um, and I was really uh, you know hyped up about this. We had you know eighty six hundred unique visitors, which for us two oh people, it's <laughs> like a lot. Trying to work on this in our days. spare time. Yeah, it was a lot, and um, and uh, you know, Cade, he's in the forum a lot more, so I'll let him speak to this. But we're seeing teachers from again all walks of life. Um, you know, pr- a lot of middle school teachers actually who are looking for things like this. But yeah, Cade, what have you been seeing in the forums? Uh, it's, it's always the same thing. It's, I know that there's all this value here, but I can't figure out how to plug it into my lesson planning sequence. And how do I break down my classroom? How many dungeon masters do I need? How do I run the adventure? Do I DM? Am I the facilitator? You know, all the things that you would expect a person trying to do this. You got a class of 28 kids, you know, you, you know, you know, there's the value there. You know, it's there as a person who grew up playing D&D or who has even just been recently introduced to, it, you know, the values there. It's pulling that value out and making it an actual classroom procedure. And, you know, kids in classrooms, everything in a classroom runs on procedure. And so if you know how a game and environment works with eight of your friends, you're trying to imagine what that looks like for 28 of your students. Well, it's very, very hard. Uh, <laughs> the first the first thing you need to do is train a couple of dungeon masters. And anybody who's ever been a dungeon master will tell you that can be a very difficult learning curve. 
So you end up entrusting, uh, you know, one child to run an adventure for all the rest of the children where they're supposed to be getting state standards that are going to help them be test ready. So these are the kinds of questions that people are asking in a string from all over the world. Switzerland, I mean, it's just all over the place. Uh, Canada. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. Switzerland's actually really big on um, uh, game based learning. Switzerland's one of the really? pioneers, actually. They have a whole school dedicated to LARPing. Um, what? Pretty what? Neat stuff. Like a whole yep. school yep. dedicated yep. to yep. LARPing? What? Yep, you make an avatar and you go through all your courses. Uh, you know, it's it's live, like they're they're it's like LARPing, yeah. So they go from class to class and they level up their characters. And that's they have that might be Finland. You know what? It might be Finland. Finland sounds. sounds <laughs> they're cool. to find basically the same. They re- <laughs> <laughs> you guys are geography teachers, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so the forum's been really cool. We've just we really have like Sarah mentioned, we've seen in all walks of life. Um, but really, it's the mechanical questions, like how do I actually put this in front of my kids in a way that's effective? So you know, Sarah and I have started looking at adventure modules and breaking those apart and linking state standards. But it comes down to what each teacher really wants to do, which can be very frustrating because then you're left with the whole book open to the world. You know, you don't really even know where to begin sometimes. Teachers want uh, to have um, like a, 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 a guidelines of like, oh, do the X, yeah. Y and Z. Yeah. And then this is how you'll have. And of course, they tweak it to their own you know, kind of thing. But it's like it's like Dungeon Masters. You need to have uh, a framework sometimes to be able to work. And so uh, yeah. that's what you that's guys have been trying to provide and, and, and show. Absolutely correct. <laughs> yes. OK, so. We're talking about D and D in the classroom. This is this is separate, different than a D and D club after school or D and D in the library. Like this yeah. is like we're actually in the class and this is being taught or our way of teaching. So, what Correct. is the response when the kids come into class and they find out like, like how do you introduce the idea of we're going to be playing D and D as? A, <laughs> and do you tell them? Um, how do you tell them? Well, <laughs> at least for, and I'm sure Kate does this very differently. I, when I introduced this to my students, um, they looked at me like I had maybe 25 heads. It was. <laughs> oh, so you were um, a Greek Titan. <laughs> and then they pulled out their swords. And slew you immediately. <laughs> um, so when I started with them, I, a lot of them didn't know what it was. So just to have them go out, uh, we did kind of a flipped classroom model. They were watching a lot of videos, you know, we talked about Stranger Things, of course, we had that plug in there. Um, and just kind of getting them around to this whole fantasy idea. Um, it took a little bit, but they were on board and I think a big part of it was they were, and actually a lot of students had said, they were just excited that I was trying just something different. You know, sometimes it's just even just reaching out and saying, guys, I want to do something totally off the wall and it might work or it might not. Mm. Um, yeah. So they were invested in that way because they knew like <laughs> at the end of the day, they got to play a game with me and their classmates and in there they were learning, but they didn't have to sit at their desks and listen to me. Like, I don't know, babble about Macbeth for 45 minutes or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, that was really the major thing for them that I was just trying something totally new and just being, I guess one of those, like, I guess risky teachers, right? Like, just something different. Did you present it as like, we're going to play D&D or did you say like, this is a game we're going to play? I was like, we're going to play D&D. So I, okay. <laughs> I gave them the books. Um, I know it was intimidating at first, uh, but a big part of that, I one thing I did tie was um, research skills to learning how to play D&D. So basic oh. textbook reading, glossary index. Can you understand what this textbook is saying? Can you research words you don't know? 
Um, and especially since I was with honors and AP students, um, that was a big thing. I was going, well, what are you guys going to do in college if you can't figure out how to navigate an unfamiliar text and so forth? So Guilt is a strong motivator. Yeah, it is. Kate, on the other hand, I'm sure. Kate, what, what did you do to introduce it to your students? It starts on day one. Uh, they walk in, they get the, this is me slideshow, which every teacher should have. If you don't have one, you need to do that. This um, photo is part of it, right? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's the, it's the scary wizard photo. Like, yeah. So the kids are always scary afraid. Wizard. They're, they're afraid when they, when they see a face for the first time on whatever pops up first online and then they get nervous and then they find out that I'm like yeah, the literal nicest guy in the whole building. And they always say, damn, Mr. I was, I was scared, you know? It's yeah. You don't beard. have to be scared to be a little are scary. Yeah. Right. Colin? <laughs> <laughs> so uh it starts on day two really they come in and take a personality test which breaks them into a role and oh i God. just i just use the uh role system from fourth edition D, which still exists really in fifth but it has to do with the striker the well i changed the names it's initiator protector diplomat and sage but uh when you break those apart, they exist in all games and all literature and all movies of all time. So yeah. all of the, four of those roles are in, intrinsic in, in humanity and all the personality tests that I used to create it were all in four categories. And so you basically clumped into one of four categories and I thought, well, that makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't it be four? And so I use that and the kids take that test and get put into a role and through their role, they were limited in their class selection. So, for instance, an initiator is only able to pick, you know, from the initiator class, the striker classes and so forth. So you you kind of have to limit student choice. Otherwise, everything would take 10 years yeah. as they will right. literally look at every single page. Here's trying 12 to make classes that you have to make your choice from. <laughs> yeah. Read them all yeah. now and there'll be a test. Yeah, right. So that yeah, makes a little not, bit of sense. They're not, they're not good at that. So the reason the reasoning for that is, is the, the role system allows you to create a classroom management platform by which the students take charge of their own group. So they have really simple jobs. That's the most important reason for me to do that on day two. Uh, so for an example, the initiator's job is to get things ready. They're that kid with high energy that you're going to know the name of on the very first day of school. Hmm. Um, the diplomat, uh, I'm sorry, let's move to the protector. The protector's job is to keep the peace, uh, to solve disputes, tell his group, group, hey, guys, chill out, chill out. You know, you're too loud, you're too loud. Um, the uh, the sage's uh, job is to help me take role and indicate who's gone in their group, put materials away in an orderly fashion because the sages actually have an understanding of what that means. Um, and the diplomat's job is to make sure that all those jobs get done. So uh, as, a, as a way that this looks in a classroom, as an example, I have four groups of eight desk, desks in my room room and it's alpha bravo charlie delta because i play a lot of battlefield <laughs> i can say i can say hey delta company i can say hey delta company what's your protector doing you guys have been really loud today and the protector says, oh sorry mister I, I got you back you know i can say do you have my back or not protector says yes sir i have your back okay well keep your group chill guys and then if i have to talk to that group again it's not going to be to the protector it's going to be to the diplomat at that point i'm going to say hey diplomat your protector is not doing their job are you going to get them to do your job or, or their job or are you going to do their job for them and so just mm -hmm. through a couple of sentences i don't have to get mad at a group i don't have to yell i don't have to you know write kids up um, I can simply call them out on what their job is. And these jobs are in multiple groups, right? So they all overlap. So I can simply say, hey, Alpha Company, your initiator did not put stuff away last time. The SAGE organized it all and put it away, put it in the bin the way it's supposed to. And you left it sitting there on the desk. You're not getting paid today, which brings me back to the classroom economy that Sarah and I both use. Um, the, it's the quick feedback system is what the classroom economy is. And so in a video game or any game really, in D&D, you want treasure, you want experience. Um, yeah the classroom economy correlates to that idea where if a child does what they're supposed to do, they'll get a reward just as we do when we go to work every day. 
uh, we, you know, we, we get paid. Um, we get that might be the only, well, the only, <laughs> the only one is to Chaka. keep the roof over the head, keep the roof over the head and keep the swimming pool clean. Those are the rewards. That's true. Um, so that's, that's how it looks in my room. Now I take that role building system, the personality test and everything. And I show them the, the character classes and go through several slideshows where it kind of limits the choices and keeps them from having to read the whole player's handbook cover to cover. But after those initial uh, choices are selected, then I do, I drop that player's handbook on them. And like Sarah said, their reaction is mixed at first. Um, they, they always think it's tied to a video game. That's the thing that my kids always yeah. think is that we're going to, yeah. we're going to finish this character and log in and we're going to go on this journey or whatever. Um, and then you, you show them otherwise. And and that's always a surprise to them. But even as resistant as my kids are, I teach in a Title I school in a very, a, a very rough neighborhood. These kids, who some of which have never read a whole book, you know, that's really, really common where I teach. They'll crack open that hardcover with that beautiful artwork. They'll look at the table of contents, and you can sort of see the asteroids colliding in their head as they're trying mm. to figure out. Well, I kind of like this, but I don't know why, and I feel kind of guilty and dirty, but I want to keep turning the pages. <laughs> and that's how I felt when I was reading D and D for the first time too. <laughs> So then I use that all year long. The management system ties to literally everything I do all year long. Um, we're in the process of creating, you know, different, like Sarah makes adventures differently than I do. But when you start with the state standard and you break that apart into uh, an understandable teacher tool, you can deliver them whatever information you want through that modality. And, and engagement is well, we said 50%. So engagement is probably 50% of all learning that happens from a student's point of view is are they willing to actually do it? So D&D &D yeah. really helps with that element. That is cool. And then Sarah, like I, I, I love the way, I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to get more details because I was an English major and theater major as well. Uh, uh, so, you know, Katie and I have that in common, but I love the whole idea how you used, uh, what was it Defending Britain? Was that what you called it? Where, oh yeah, uh, where you were using all these <laughs> yeah. different older uh, English things, and people, the, the the students actually went on adventures to fight like Grendel's mother and things like that, right? Oh, cool. Oh yeah, it was. Um, it was well for my uh, British literature course. It's it was a survey course, um, so I started with Beowulf and ended with typically Lord of the Flies. Um, wow. So we had you know the major British works in there. Um, so I had the idea where, like I had said earlier, uh, it was immersive within the text. Um, so the students had created characters, uh, and this is where I was boosting reading. They had to read the text in order to know how to navigate through the campaign. So um, they would be in, um, you know, Geatland. They would be helping Hrothgar. Um, we're in Beowulf right now. And you know, they had to go kill Grendel's mother. Um, and it was akin to the text. So I did have a class who the majority of them hadn't read, um, you know, the whole fight with Grendel's mother, for instance. And they didn't realize they had to pick up a very specific sword, a great sword, uh, in order to kill her. So she ended up wiping most of the class information was there come on they, they they didn't read the 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 secret sacred texts exactly um, i got a great was, i got a great piggyback on that that, uh, that idea that there brilliant. where um you know then they traverse through britain like they have to save the entirety of britain and by doing so they're essentially like time travelers hopping from text to text so um, there was an overarching story that kind of tied why they were zapping around um, all of these books and all of these time periods, but um, it just gave me an easy way to get them into the text without without too much background as to why they were actually there, as mm -hmm. other so than you know, defeating a great evil. <laughs> I, you gotta. I and there must have been such a great engagement from like, okay, you can read a book and enjoy it, 
And, that, mm. you know, if, if you don't have a student who likes reading, that's going to be kind of hard to yeah. get across. But then here you are actually embodying it, you know, seeing, and I'm sure you were hopefully describing, you know, what, what w- the kind of descriptions that would be in those books. And it must have felt like, all right, we're actually experiencing these stories in a much different way. And uh, their comprehension must have gone through the roof. Well, I, w- I, w- I was going to add, um, reading their essays, like their um, critical analyses, uh, like the papers I usually do at the end of Beowulf, uh, were far better than any year I had gotten so mm. far. So, and I, I do say that with I say empirically, that. empirically, you can because even the students who maybe hadn't been so attached to the text. Uh, just by playing and listening to the commentary from their classmates and listening to me and remembering what we did in the game, even if they didn't remember it in the book, you know, they had all of these latent ideas rolling around in their heads and it really showed in their work, in their writing and what they were delivering to me at the end of all of it. So I, yeah, absolutely. The comprehension rose for me. Um, you know, I would say by tenfold, it was a lot. And, uh, did they slay the, uh, Lord of the Flies at the end, the Beelzebub? <laughs> well, we didn't get there, but I would hope. I would hope. <laughs> Did okay. they help Piggy find his glasses? That's uh, all yeah. I care about. You know that's not what happens to Piggy at the end. Right? <laughs> Piggy was my favorite. <laughs> rocks fall. My spare. Literally rocks fall. Everyone dies. <laughs> Maybe that's um, why I have such a bad reaction to that. <laughs> uh, Kate, you said you had a piggy, piggyback, piggyback on that. Piggy, a piggyback. Oh, Piggy. Yeah. He's so everywhere. I actually use, uh, I actually used uh, D&D verbatim in my third period reading intervention class, which we have every day. I'm on a block schedule and we have 90 minute classes and we see kids every other day, but we have have one period during the day that's 45 minutes and we see them daily. Um, I, I literally just play role-playing games with these kids and mix in reading assessments. And we do a few, use a few other tools uh, to help with reading comprehension and so forth. But what you see is what they ask me, Mr. What happens when I die? What happens if my character dies? The first thing they always think of is respawning. Like they think that <laughs> their character's going to jump off a cliff and splatter into the bottom. And then they're just going to start at the beginning of the gate or whatever. And I tell this kid, Hey, Alfredo, uh, if you die, uh, you got to make a new character, bro. And he's like, no way, mister. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Really? And he's like, that was a lot of work. And I said, yeah, you want to make another one? He's like, no. And so everybody was kind of sharing in this sentiment. And I said, so do you now see how this character helps tie you to practical decisions in an imaginary world? And he says, yeah, nobody wants to do that again. You know. So it's funny that, that I mentioned that, though, because then there are kids that say, hey, mister, can I take this book home? I want to make it just a different character just to practice, just to see if it's cooler than the one I already made. And you oh. smile and you say, absolutely, student. Here you go. Um, That's great. And, and yeah, my, I was going to say, my, there are that would backfire for someone who has, like, altitis and just want to make characters as, uh, as all the time. That's, that's me. So super fun. Yeah, very effective. The, the kids write their stories together on a shared. Uh, I actually have them use slides so that you can have the student who's the lowest to get pictures for the text that's written by the usually the game, the dungeon master and the, the higher level players who are a little bit better writers. The kid who's on the bottom is going to grab pictures for the text that's being written as a recap of their adventure. So they go on the oh, adventures cool. and then they write them down. Um, and so I never really would have considered that as a, as a learning skill. You know, can you find a picture to match the text? I would have never thought of that as a thing until I was a teacher. And it's like, holy crap, that's actually a skill, you know, that these yeah. kids kind of need pretty badly. So this is a, a group writing activity and it's really, really neat. And then they have a product that they can remember, you know, that class with for the rest of their life and say, hey, look what I can create. What, look what I can do. Oh, that is really So cool. they take that with them. It's like they create a basically well, it's like a, a, it, book of yeah, it's their a book. Yep. 
It's in Google Drive, and that follows the students with, uh, it follows them every year uh, until they graduate. And I always show them how to take their school account and populate it into their private account or print it out if it's something that they want to keep as a hard copy. That's really cool. Yeah, I love that idea. So they're doing this, they do this throughout their, their time at the school. It's not just when they have you as a teacher? No, it's just when it's just when they have me. So the, I'll have the same kids for third period every day for pretty much the whole year. Okay. Um, you'll have newcomers and and people who leave, but in general, it's the same kids. So a question for both of you: What do the other teachers in your school think? Are they like this is brilliant, or those teachers are crazy? Go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say there was a definite mix. Um, you know, you always have teachers who are not on board and not up to speed and don't want to try anything new. I think that's inherent in the system. Um, and then you have teachers who say, you know what, Sarah, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. It's just interesting to see what you're doing in your room um, because it's always a little different. I, I would always try for something different every year in some way. Um, so you get, you get support. You get support where you need it. Um, I know my supervisor, she supported me, and I think that's usually the most important thing. Yeah, for sure. If you have your administration backing you, if you have the support of your supervisor and they can see the good in what you're doing, it doesn't really matter what the other teachers um, quite think of it. I mean, I think, Kate, you would agree with that? Yeah, the teachers that are surrounding me all took pieces of what I was doing and put it directly into their classroom almost instantly, like the classroom management system, the classroom economy, the personality test. Um, you know, that was all commandeered by, I want to say, four or five people. And I've given presentations here in Houston um, showing teachers how to use that. And they're just like, wow, that's the simplest, coolest thing, you know, like just to yeah. make things run smoother. Um, so I haven't received very much resistance. Um, a kind of a neat story that happened just recently is uh, the district coordinator is the big cheese and English uh, that oversees all of what we do here. And uh, I gave her the player's handbook, the monster's manual, and the dungeon master's guide as her summer reading project and, <laughs> and a few character sheets. And because she's always the only one who's ever said anything, but she says your numbers are always on the top of the on the top of the you know the the cream here. And so I'm not really going to mix words with what you're doing in your classroom. And I said, well, if you really want to know why my numbers are so good, take a look at these three books and uh, analyze what's going on here from your point of view. Because she's you know they, she knows everything about English, like literally everything about what it takes to teach English. And so now she's going through the books over the summer and she's about to discover what I discovered when I was, you know, 10 or 12 years old is that this is just the most rich learning tool that you could give a child. That's crazy. And didn't you tell me this might have been from the, the, the last interview that we did with you, Kay, but that you had uh, teachers walk by your uh, your classroom with all of your students books open, pouring over the players handbooks. And uh, one of them said, like, how did, how did you do that? How did you get them to want to read something? Yeah. Yep, it's it's uh, an absolute reality. When when you start your class period, you have a warm up, something to get the kids started, so that you're not having to fight their personalities when it comes time to actually deliver them the lesson. And this was the easiest warm up ever. Get your player's handbook, open it up to where you left off, grab your character sheet out of your folder, and continue working. But I think it's it's the beautiful art, and it's the it's the design of the of the you know the D and D brand is so beautiful that it kind of pulls a kid in just like a video game would, you know, or each page is just like a new tab that leads them a little deeper and a little deeper into this mystery. And it's like I said before, the meteors are colliding in their head because they don't know really how to feel, but they can't seem to stop turning the pages. Mm. Um, and so I, I have shared that with other teachers and, um, you know, they're using it how they can, you know, in English using D&D &D is the easiest. 
but mm-hmm. uh, we, as we all, as we all know, it can be used to teach any curriculum. You just need the modality by which to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. I could definitely see, uh, you know, uh, math, yeah, uh, sure. uh, science, history, uh, you know. Jim. Jim. Uh, you get the larvae. Yeah, actually, we have right from the stream of many eyes. We saw, you know, how yeah. the, the athletes fencing. of the stunt we fighters. fencing classes. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So get points um, for them. Experience points for fencing class. Hell yeah. So we... Actually, Oh, sorry. Go on, Katie. I was just going to say, in, a, in the product that we're kind of theorizing, something that uh, Sarah and I have talked about is a skill-based uh, tree so that it would be kind of like in Skyrim where you don't necessarily start as a class. You maybe start as a race with the personality test. Oh, right. But then as you, as you go to each uh, class, you get experience points for bard or rogue or fighter or whatever it might be. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool to put a Fitbit on kids? And the only way they could get oh. levels in, in, in fighter wow. or monk through an app is to measure their Fitbit and then they would be able to log in their hours or if they played a football game they'd be able to put in the amount of time that they played football and that would be one way that they could that increase is such experience. That's a great idea. I love this. And then we can Pretty also yes, yes. track them so we know where they are at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. That's where the idea falls apart. Darn it. But uh, I, I love that to be able to, to uh, encourage actual exercise too, because that's always a big uh, uh, push for, for kids of any age yeah, as well. Yeah. What were you going to ask? So we know. Um, educational benefits with D&D, but I'm curious, when you're using D&D in the classroom, are you noticing a change in how the kids are actually treating each other? And if there is, is there kids that normally wouldn't be interacting together are developing these friendships? Mm. And like, what what is that dynamic like? Before you guys go, I I, I do want to say I met a student today, which is the perfect uh, example for what you guys are talking about. He came to visit the wizard's office. His name was Jack. Hi, Jack. Uh, hi, Jack, if you're listening. His name is Edward Stop Longleaf and uh, in, in the Twitch chat. He said he might be listening and watching. Um, but he is uh, uh, a student who started his uh, D&D club in uh, Seaside, California, and his class, uh, uh, there was so many people who wanted to join the club that they had to turn you know, f- uh, folks away. Half the school wanted to join it. And he is, you can see him just brighten up with when he, he describes what he does in the Dungeons and Dragons game. And this is someone who has, uh, uh, you know, d- learns a little bit differently. I think he has dyslexia. And uh, the fact that he's pushing uh, his limits to be able to read all the books and become a dungeon master and, and, and explore social cues, all the things uh, that you get as an ancillary benefit almost from, from Dungeons and Dragons play, uh, it was really great. So I was so excited to have him be like, oh, and we're going to talk to educators today on Dragon Talk, uh, which you know fits exactly in you know, your wheelhouse for what you're doing with this club, but then bringing it into the classroom itself. So, yeah, have you guys seen any benefits the, like that in, in your classrooms? Yeah, the you know, I'll, like, I'll yes, jump in before skills. Kate. I'll only talk about two things quickly um, because I know Kate has seen some really amazing things in his room. Um, the first one, I, I remember recently during an observation, my supervisor was in there just watching my students do a group lesson. Um, we weren't playing D&D that day, um, and they were working on analyzing quotes, and just natively the students were helping like cross group talking to one another and actually staying on task and everything and they were you know working towards the greater good there like trying to finish up for the day and one of her comments was you know she said i you know i don't know how you've gotten them to talk to each other like this because Mm -hmm. the collaboration now is is so rich um you know they feel comfortable with each other um they feel skilled they know what the other is working towards um and i think that comfort level was was huge in changing how the students converse with one another. Um, and that's through play. That's through, you know, them doing all sorts of crazy things and laughing together and laughing with me and just really enjoying their environment. Um, and then the second thing was in the same vein, 
um, I had started a and d club and uh, yeah, I had 40 kids show up to, to start and I was like, oh, we got to whittle these groups down. And um, eventually though, during parent teacher conferences, I had, you know, a, a slew of parents come out and say like, just thank you for creating this. You know, my, my student felt alone. He didn't have that many friends. He didn't talk to a lot of people and you know, yeah, now he has friends. Now he has people. He like, he wants to stay after school. He loves what he's doing. You know, it's all he talks about at dinner kind of stuff. Wow. And like, that's always what you want to hear from parents. Like no matter what you're doing, it didn't have to be D and D, but it just so happened that, you know, these are the things that are sparking them. And as it is, sparked students and, you know, people who play this for so long. So that's sparked us. Yeah. 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 So those are, of course, the biggest things, just ease for the students, making them feel like they belong and just really boosting that overall collaboration. But I know Kate has seen some amazing stuff in his room as well. I'm going to try to limit the number of stories to just two. And, uh, yeah, you know me. Uh, pedagogically, the word that you're looking for is called soft skills. That's what they call it, mm. soft skills. I, I'm soft, very soft skilled. Soft skills. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're, you, can, you, you can manage me, sir. You can manage anyone. Um, the, the, the soft skills are, are the skills that actually help us succeed in life, truly. Um, you know, it's the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's kind of what it boils down down to is the size your ability to work with people. So two stories that come to mind. Uh, a couple years ago, there was this great, sweet kid uh, named Jimmy. And Jimmy was probably one of the smartest kids in the school. And he was just isolated. He was crying in the middle of the hallway one day. And uh, I came up to him and he wasn't one of my students, but I was like, little brother, are you okay? And he just, he, he just says, Mr. I'm just so alone. And, and everybody here is so, is so different. And he's right. They were very different than him because he's he just a shining star and sort of a you know, a field of darkness. But anyway, I, I told him, you're going to join my D&D club and I'm going to have you moved into my classroom. Both wow. of those things, ha- both of those things happened. I told the administrator, this kid needs to be in my room because he needs the older brotherly support that I give to all my kids. And he just, he really just needs it. And so they moved him and he joined my club. Jimmy uh, wrote, he is a senior this year. Holy smokes. He's a senior this year. And he sent me an, uh, a ma- he sent me a letter, an actual letter through interdepartment mail from the high school to the ninth grade <laughs> center where I teach. It was that, it was, it was that important to him. And Jimmy wrote me like a three-page letter explaining how everything had happened after that moment where I found him in the hallway, changed his life for the better, and now he's going to be an engineer or something, you know, great, great when he leaves school. And, and he still he still plays with the D and D club that I passed on to the high school. Uh, wow. I gave him some. I gave I gave the club next door because ninth grade centers are uh, separate from the high school where I where I teach um, for sort of a spawning pool kind of concept where you get one last chance to corral them before you let them off into the wild. <laughs> so I gave him a few. I gave the club next door a few of the books and uh, Jimmy and others that have left my classroom uh, continue to play today. The other story that I think. Hold is on, the I just most- want to say that is I'm like actually tears in my I eyes know, right I now from how sweet that story. Is. So I just want to make sure you knew that my work, Mister. That is so amazing. Just even from like when you went up to him and said, "Are you okay, little brother?" Look, I yeah, Shelly's crying right now. Turn off the feed, Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> Shut it down. People can't see us like this. The podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> Dragon cry. <laughs> what people need to remember about using game gamification in the classroom is it's not just running a game in your classroom. It's it's what is it like when you're a dungeon master greeting friends who come into your house to play a game for yeah. four hours. It's not like, oh, I can't believe I'm here seeing you again. You know, my kids come to the door and, you know, I always got to change a dirty diaper or two on their way in. But ultimately, they understand because of the way that I just treat them. It's my room is a gaming environment, whether we're playing a game that day or not. My room is a gaming environment and kids have, have often 
and shaking my hand at the door saying, oh, thank God I'm finally home. Oh, and that's you, sweet. You, you talk about jerking the tears when you see this little kid who grew up in the hood who's got absolutely nothing, and he shakes your hand and, and you know pulls you in for a little hug, and he says, "Thank God I'm home." You know, this is a long day, Mister. I'm super glad to see you. Um, that is that really, is, and it's something that's I didn't even realize it, but it's something that you mentioned too, Sarah, when you were saying that like you know you're laughing with them, you're playing yeah, with the too. students. <laughs> And that is something that's so important. I don't think a lot of a lot of maybe educators think about that, or even parents think about that. But like it's it is it's really a, a big part of their development to feel like they are peers in a way, right? Yeah. They're not just like little kids or little versions of humans that you, you you try to ignore. Like if you're with them and engaging with them on uh, a peer like level, I feel like that just brings everybody up, you know. And 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 uh, yeah, they don't get that everywhere else. So no. I think that's a big reason why you two get the 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 amount of, of tears jerked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happens. The other story yeah. that that's of significance. I'm sorry, Sarah. I just before I lose the train of thought. Do is, it. In, te- Go in, ahead. in Texas, in Texas, here we have a really high uh, language learner um, population. People who have come from Mexico or Honduras or you know, wherever Spanish speaking countries. And uh, I had a little girl named Joel and she was tiny and sped left. So she had, she had some learning difficulties with reading and she was a language learner. So she had two stones against her already. And the softest spoken, quietest, shyest, sweetest little girl you've ever met in your life. And she joined the club at my invitation. I said, I think that this could be a really huge thing for you. Uh, she created an Amazon warrior, made her six feet tall, heavily yeah. clad in armor with a great sword. And um, she ended up being the brutal killer in the group. They'd be like, Joe, Joe, come help us. And she would come in and save the day and slay the enemies and just have this huge smile on her tiny little face. Oh, my God. Well, that's, that's a great story all by itself. Then segue to a month later when her teachers are like, she's in your D&D club, right? What did you do? Oh, here. Joe had become one of the most active participants in all of her class, had started helping other students. Her deficiencies quickly fell to the wayside, and she nearly passed. I mean, just by like a question, she missed her EOC, which in ninth grade here in Texas is very, very, very difficult for a language learner by itself, let alone the SPED deficiencies. But she had become uh, a triumph to what this can do. And she still plays with the groups next door and has a group of friends that, of course, will be with her forever, as we all know how that bond lasts for eternity. Wow. That is amazing. Right? I love this. Yeah. I can't. You need to read Paul's, Paul's article. Read Paul's article. Yeah, so do you want to plug yeah. that real quick? I know the link might not be live yet, but where's that going to go? It's not yet. Um, it's going to be on a site called MindShift, which is a subsidy of uh, National Public Radio or National Public Broadcasting, one or the other, or both. I don't know if it's the same thing. <laughs> Um, and he came out, man, I wish I could write like this guy. I, I just started. You got to read the whole thing, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't it an unbelievable article? Yeah. I think what it's really hitting is just, uh, you know, there are teachers all over and, you know, thankfully us now being a couple of them where we're doing just, I I don't know, truly wonderful things in the classroom with this as a vehicle. And I think the article really shows how, you know, if, if you're putting a little bit of this work in and really trying, um, it's boundless what you will get back from these students. That's super cool. So go check that out on the MindShift website when it goes live. We'll, uh, we'll of course, uh, talk about that on all of the Wizards uh, stuff when it goes live as well. But where can – so we mentioned learningwithdnd.com as a place to go find out more if you're interested. Where else can people uh, find out about you guys? Um, teachingwithdnd.com, just to throw that in there. Um, Whoops. Sarah Martin's website. Sarah Martin's website. He's learning. Yeah, my bad. Uh, um, you know, I, I have a Twitter account. It's not 
specific to teaching with D&D. It's just my professional one, but um, you can follow that. I think you guys will link it, but it's um, A underscore Bill Dung's Roman. Um, it's a coming of age novel name. <laughs> Very English clever. teacher. Very English but, teacher yeah, of you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you can follow that. I usually post updates about what we're doing um, like today. You know, I posted this on Twitter, um, but little things like that. Um, but yeah, mostly just visiting the website. We set up a little Discord channel. Um, it's quiet in there, but sometimes people post and they have some good conversations, but mostly the forum is where um, things are really active right now. So yeah. Cool. Cade, what about you? Where can people find out more uh, about you other than the places Sarah just mentioned? Well, that would be the best place. Uh, <laughs> really, really. Just go to Kate at teachingwithdnd.com uh, and you can message Sarah or myself. And really, we do need to kind of steer everybody that direction. It's nice to have um, it's nice to have the personal email thing, but that's already filled with 10,000 emails from work. Uh, that, <laughs> that website will really help Sarah and I um, begin to see you know, as much need as, as is necessary to keep making this go because more and more people keep joining it and with 8,000 visitors in 90 days, we can only assume that that's going to increase exponentially. Um, I know that she and I both have talked about wanting to have, you know, conversations with these folks and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, eventually that will happen, but there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, know, I know we've only yeah. just uh, started talking about it, but the idea of a teaching conference dedicated to some kind of a, a, a using yeah. D&D in the classroom sounds sounds really exciting. Be yeah. Huge. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. So uh, go to, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get it wrong again, teachingwithdnd.com <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, find out more, uh, spread the word and get more people on board because I think there's a big future for using uh, this game in, in the classrooms. All I can say is that I hope that one of those 8,000 unique Visitors are like future teachers for my kid. Yeah, he's going to he's starting kindergarten this fall. Is it too soon for D and D in the classroom at kindergarten level? <laughs> when is when actually is the right age to introduce D and D in the classroom? Is have you found a sweet spot? I would um, say seventh seventh grade. Okay, maybe maybe yeah. sixth. That's when yeah. things start getting dicey. Anyway, when you're like the 11, 12 years old, you need you need the D and the D. That would help. Getting dicey. Yeah, 12, Getting 12 years hot. old is about the age that the cognition begins to really take place where the child can have the metacognit- metacognitive ability to understand what it is that they're reading and synthesize text and things like that. Uh, my students, most of my students are at, a, at about a seventh grade mentality, even though I teach ninth grade. Um, you know, they, there's a lot of catching up that happens. And, and I see that when I introduce them to the game. Um, <clears throat> it really fills in a lot of the gaps pretty quickly. But I would say seventh grade is probably ideal. And if places have a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade system for middle yeah. school, I would have no hesitation in starting at sixth grade. Okay. Now uh-huh. we do we do have a teacher we have a teacher on the forum that ha- is Sarah. What is it? Second or third grade or something like that? Oh, it is. I feel like it's third grade. Wow. Um, but yeah, there are some teachers out there who are modifying gameplay for very young students. Um, Math. And it's just, I mean, it's fa- like. Yep. I am trained seven through 12, so I can't say that I can speak to that very well, but at least we've given this person a a place to talk about it with other people, you know? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, yeah, start early. Why not? (laughs) I mean, it's only going to make them smarter. Exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, well, great. You know, Thank you, was, guys. Uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead, Kay. One more thing. I was just going to say part of the, part of the thing that uh, made me want to use D&D in my classroom is I, one of the commonalities that I began to think about when I was in college is what is it about my friends that made us smarter than everybody else that we know? Mm. And there was one there was one catalyst. There was one catalyst and that we all played D&D together. We all maintained our friendships. And I, it just seems like playing that game game together just makes you brilliant. I mean, I don't I don't know what <laughs> else to say here. about it. That's true. <laughs> We're putting that on the back of the box. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> well, thanks, you guys. I love the work you're doing. Me uh, too. I want everybody to go to teachingwithdnd.com uh, and find out more about uh, how they can potentially do this if you're an educator, even if you're not, even if you have kids and want to point your teachers to it. I think that's it's a great resource. So thank you for I setting agree. it up and, and yeah. being in the forums and, and making it happen. And thanks for being on. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, you so much. All right. <laughs> thanks, you guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Uh, I love talking uh, to uh, Kate and Sarah. They are such good people, I and know. they bring the message of the D and D to everyone. It's inspiring. It, it is makes inspiring. Me excited for my kid to go to school. Did you ever want to be a teacher? For like a hot second. Me too. Yeah. yeah. There was definitely a moment where I'm like, "Do I want to go back to school?" And then that was it. I was like, "No, yeah, I don't." No. I, I, I mean, I like the idea of school. I think school is good, but like me personally, being like, "Do I want to study?" No. Nope. But I think I I would like to do things. Like with a school or in a school, right. but not like I don't want to be a teacher. Right. Like, I want to play D and D in a school. Well, like, that, that I do think about that. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's start our own little after school program. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, especially when our kids get to be uh, in like middle school and be like, "Hey, fellow teens, oh, let's th- play some D and D." Our D&D. kids would be so excited to see their parents coming in for a club. That's right. Hi, it's the D and D club. We're Corinne, here Fiona. for you. Sit down. It'll be us like ten years from now too, so it'll be even more old and gray. And uh, uh, 10 years from now, our kids will be in high school. I know. Ew. Isn't that insane? That's not enough time. No. Are you prepped? Are you prepared? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I am not. You got to get on it. Would you like to teach D&D at Quinn's summer camp? Yes. Now. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, like right now. Well, like let's leave right now and go. Okay. (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) Like this summer. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I would. You really would? I really would. I think I'm going to do it. Okay. But I'm scared. I really got voluntold to do something for a fundraiser for for uh, Nathan's uh, uh, school. Really? Yeah. Huh. I'm like, sure. Yeah. I okay. Think he, I'm all I'm all on board. I don't know if I have the power to volunteer you to do anything, but, <laughs> but wield it. But wield the kids, it. They would love it. Uh, they certainly. They're would. like primed and ready. I think I can maybe hold their attention for about ten minutes. That's all I need, right? Yeah. All right. That's about the average length of a D and D game. Pretty right? much. Okay. Well, for kids, anyway, for oh, five year olds. Everyone gets a turn. Yeah. Hit a monster. Roll this die. Oh, you failed. Oh, you're dead. Go home and tell your parents. <laughs> Did I tell you that one of the kids there Falling leaf. picked up Quinn? He goes, do you work at Wizards of the Coast? And I said, yes, I do. And he goes, what cards do you work on? I was like, oh. <laughs> well, we, have we got the card game coming for you? <laughs> oh. It's called Betrayal at House on the Hill. <laughs> there are cards in that. It is a Would card you like game. like an omen card, little boy? <laughs> Here's one of a little... Here's a severed limb. Doll creature that's going to haunt your dreams. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't actually work on the cards. I work on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. He was like, oh. Okay. Did you realize that there are... Uh, <gasps> Axis and allies Your figures. battleship got in my dice. Mixed in with our dice here. No. That's upsetting. All right. Well, I think we uh, are going to call it quits oh. on uh, on this. I'm, I'm calling it quits. We're just, we're done. 
I didn't even realize we were still recording. Did you want to say anything about about <laughs> uh, exes and allies uh, in the meantime? Maybe and zombies. It's a cool game. It's happening. It's this fall. This fall, October twenty sixth. Grab your copy. Y'all are going to be spending a lot of time in game shops in October and November because there are so many good products coming out. There really are tons. Yeah. we got to make time to play them. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And then November 9th. What? Betrayal Legacy. Betrayal Legacy. And if you're going to be at Game Hole Con, you can play Betrayal Legacy with Rob. <gasps> Rob Daffio himself? He's going to be there, yeah. <sighs> it's like the weekend of its release. It's the same weekend. I love it. I know, so I feel like we should get a cake or something. Let's do it. Okay. All right. It'll have uh, um, all the creepy uh, twins from Betrayal on the cake. That's all. Oh, that's those creepy little girls. And then you can like take a bite and be like, oh my gosh. And then another one shows up. And you're like, what just happened? And then you eat another twin and then another one shows up. I've got like goosebumps. Oh my God. I I should design games. (laughs) That is like such a good idea. What games do you work on? You go tell your mommy I work on creepy ghost games. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. See yeah, you later. Want to come over for a play date? <laughs> what cards do you work on? We work on the ones that summon devils and demons. Do you want one? Do you want one? <laughs> Here you go. Go invite a demon home for dinner. Here's a Santa Claus one. It's fake. Oh, we do have a Santa. You do. I know. See, it's perfectly timely. <sighs> All right, everybody. All right. We're All out right. of here. Bye. If you want to follow Shelly, where do you do it? Safely. On Twitter, not in person. That's right. That's creepy. That is. At Shelly Moo. At Shelly Moo. Yes. And you can follow me on Greg Tito. Aunt Greg Tito. Aunt Greg Tito. <laughs> that's, I want to make a Twitter thing that's just Aunt Greg Tito. Oh, hello. Aunt hello. Greg Tito. Uh, I'm also on the Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. But if you really want to find out about the coolest game out there, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Or follow us on the Facebook and on Twitter at wizards underscore DND. What is happening? <laughs>